0: Brother, if you ain't watching, you ain't listening, and you're missing out. Woo!
1: Episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast. Episode 17 today. And not the best of terms to talk about, but we got a lot to talk about today. We'll recap Green Bay. We'll talk a little bit more into this coaching fiasco we've got going on right now. And we'll weigh in and talk about what's going to happen if we play Detroit in a week. So it should be a good show. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to a brand new episode here on YouTube and iTunes. I am your host, Redicus. Joined alongside me, as always, my good buddy and co-host, Evan, Mr. Bucks Football. Evan, how are you doing today, my man? I'm doing just great. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm hanging in there. I'm ready to get a lot off my chest. Um, But before we do any of that, ladies and gentlemen, back with us again, very special guest, representing for Pewter Report, Mr. Trevor Sykema. Trevor, how are you doing today, man? I'm doing good, guys. It's good to, be, uh, good to be back with you. It's awesome to be here once again to talk about Green Bay. And speaking of Green Bay, man, I had seen that you had the chance to go up there, actually, uh, for the game. How was how was that whole experience?
2: Dude, man, Lambeau Field is awesome. Um, if you were a Bucs fan, you didn't get the chance to go. Um, you've never been before. Uh, I feel bad for you uh, because I was I was lucky enough to go. I, when I saw the schedule come out at the beginning of the year, um, I knew that this was the one road game I really, really had to make sure that I made it to. Um, and dude, let me tell you, like all the narratives around Green Bay, like, like the stigma of it, very true. Okay, like every like everybody there, as friendly as can be. Um, obsessed with Packers football, and then two, this stadium is truly in the middle of nowhere, man. Like you get off the highway, and it's just this little town in Upper Wisconsin, and then just here is this giant cathedral of historic football. And so, man, uh, whenever the Bucks play in Green Bay again, you know I know Bucks fans are hoping that that would be in the postseason before they play again in the rotation. Uh, but whenever that is, you you guys got to go.
1: And uh, I had a buddy actually go up. He had spent that whole weekend uh, up in Wisconsin with his wife. He's a Green Bay fan, never been to Green Bay, never been to Lambeau. And uh, it was definitely really cool seeing all the pictures up there. It it looked amazing, man. You really – there's such an aura around that stadium. And I've never even been there.
2: Oh, yeah. No, it's it's special. It's a special place. And then obviously because I was getting to cover it, um, and it being the first time I was there, I got to, you know, go on to the field level after the game and get to see everything cut from kind of the players and the coaches perspective of just Lambeau field. And, uh, it was surreal. It really was. I was just kind of like walking around, walking around the outside of the field for like 15, 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was after the game. I don't even know. Um, but it was fun, man. If it, like I said, if Bucks finished listening to this, didn't get a chance to go, if you have a chance to go to end- there are uh, so many Bucks fans. There are way more Bucks fans than I thought that were going to be there for a road game, and so uh, that was really cool to see too.
1: Now, um, special things do happen in Green Bay. Obviously, not for the Bucks' fate, but looking back at Sunday, the Bucks fell twenty-six to twenty in overtime against the Packers. It was a good game. It, it was definitely a good game. Came down to the wire. Couple of mistakes made. Obviously, some costly mistakes that lost us the game in the long run. But a good game overall. A solid game from the team. Let's, I mean, let's just throw it all out there. Let's talk about what happened. Um, Evan, if you want to throw your thoughts in first, we'll kind of break this puppy down and we'll go from there. But how are you feeling about this loss to Green Bay? It really, really just hurts, man. Uh, yeah, and, you know, on Twitter, I've
3: seen a lot of people put the blame on, on one person or, or one unit. Uh, I think it was a whole team effort. Uh, I think that the whole team played okay. And then eventually when you play okay, uh, for, for, so long, eventually it's going to bite you. Uh, I thought, I didn't think special teams had a good day at all. Uh, multiple, I, it you doesn't know, seem like Pat Murray can kick the ball that far into the end zone and they just return it and the kick coverage wasn't that great either. But, uh, Brian Anger got a punt block. That was a big turning point in the game. I didn't think special teams was, was uh, that special. um, Offense, I, I thought they did okay with uh, you know with the makeshift offensive line that they had. And obviously, getting Winston getting hit thirteen times and sacked, I believe it was seven or eight, uh, was the final total. That's not acceptable. But um, being speaking of Winston, I thought he played good. Uh, and I I actually read uh, Trevor's cover three earlier today. Uh, it was a great great article, Trevor. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, and uh, it was just he put in some 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 clips of, of Winston versus the Packers and Winston's first drive, as as Trevor pointed out, was beautiful. It was what Bucks fans have been asking for. Just take what the defense gives you, and he did that. The first two throws were checkdowns for first downs to Anthony O'Claire and uh, Allen Cross, and then he threw that perfect pass to Cameron Brayton. Brayton, Brayton made a beautiful catch. Bucks went up seven nothing. But then after that, the Packers took away the short throws, and Winston basically had no time. And then, of course, the sack fumble happened, where Winston just tried to do too much. He ended up getting—it looked like he almost got hit by his lineman, which I believe is Caleb Benenock right there. It looked like he was trying to throw the ball away, and he got hit by a lineman. I'm not sure if there's another angle of it where it shows—he uh, definitely was hit, or he wasn't hit. Um, but, they, obviously, that was a costly mistake. That put those Packers up 10 points, and that was a huge momentum swing. Bucks were about to cross midfield there, and then they just give points to the other team. Uh, and, the, and the defense. The defense played okay all day. Uh, you know, it's much easier facing Brett Hundley than it is Aaron Rodgers. I think we can all agree on that. And um, uh, in overtime, the defense just seemed like they didn't know it was like a different Packers team. They didn't know which they didn't know what Packers team this was, and Hundley was running the read option on them for seven, eight yards, and then one for like seventeen yards, and that they couldn't stop the run to save their lives And that final, the twenty-yard run to win the game. That was just, just a complete, just a complete breakdown in, in in assignment, I guess you could say.
1: I was, um, um, I was, I was actually watching the game at a bar uh, with my girlfriend once it had gotten to overtime, and there were. Surprisingly a lot more Packers fans than Bucks fans in there, but I mean I guess that's what you get when you play the way you do, but regardless, we were in the game, uh, we were in the middle of the game, you know, we had just gotten some lunch, found me some chicken wings, it was it was great. The game was great, kept me engaged. I, I walked out before the play was even over in overtime, man. I couldn't sit there and watch that for another second. I, I don't yeah. I've never I, I've never got up and like walked out prematurely to a game this season. Especially with the way things have gone, but as soon as I saw that big overtime run, the one that you knew, the one that you knew, and, and that was the worst thing about that run, as you talked about it, it was like a whole new identity for the Packers in overtime, they came out did exactly what they had to do, Buccaneers didn't even have a chance to put hands on the ball, but that last play, that last run to seal the deal, you see, um, oh god, was it Williams who made the run?
2: jones i believe yeah it was aaron jones that last aaron one jones
1: um the worst part for me was seeing him run up into the uh run up into the mob of blockers and defenders and then you just see him pretty much take two steps back and run to the left and find that huge hole and walk it in essentially it hurt to watch it definitely hurt to watch because i thought it was going to be a good stop you know a couple seconds into the play little do we know it was the one to to seal the deal but yeah. Just rough, um, um, really. But before we kind of talk about what else fell apart in this game, overtime obviously something everyone's already already watched and, and taken note of. Talking on some pros, the most noticeable pro Sunday against the Packers was the run game without a doubt. You look at a guy like Peyton Barber on the ground racked up, I think it was hundred and two, 102, 102 <laughs> yards on 20-some carries, averaging about 4.4 yards per carry. Over the air, he finished with 41 yards respectively. Obviously not a blockbuster performance, but something to look at is that 68 of those yards came after contact. This guy is already averaging more yards than Doug Martin. Where do you think this is going to take off? Do you think we should take Peyton Barber as seriously as as, as I think we should? Do you think it's something that's going to happen two weeks from now?
0: Uh,
3: Uh... Well, I mean, if you're asking me, I think they should start giving Peyton Barber some more looks, especially because, as it's looking now, I I think it's, it's doubtful that Doug Martin is back with the Bucks next year. Uh, what do you think, Trevor?
2: Yeah, I think the Bucs um, kind of have learned the hard way uh, that you should not pay running backs that much money um, because you can... I mean, even when Doug Martin was running the ball fine, and I thought Doug Martin was running the ball relatively fine all year, I think the offensive line has really let him down quite a bit. Um, but even when Doug Martin was running the ball fine, the Bucks were had like this four-man running back rotation where they wanted to get all these guys' carries, and you just can't justify the cap room that, that somebody like Martin is eating up when you have a guy like Peyton Barber who you know can just – not that – you know, Doug Martin has obviously been a top five back a couple times in the NFL, so I'm not I'm not ready to you know say that Peyton Barber is is Doug Martin talented, but in terms of like Doug Martin production, yeah, that was a good game that Peyton Barber had, and you uh, just talked about some of that yards after contact. Some of the yards after contact might have just been him uh, running into his own offensive lineman at first, but that's the thing about Peyton Barber, man. He's just a smash mouth kind of running back. He's a guy who's going to get the ball, go north to south, no dancing about him, and he's just going to get as many yards as he possibly can, and so in that in that aspect, I think that it was um, kind of a perfect storm for Martin to be out that game, uh, and to give the ball and the feature role to more of a simplistic runner, especially with kind of like a makeshift offensive line like you were talking about, and so I think Peyton Barber certainly, they've kind of been on the cusp about trying to get him more and more carries and i i think you're gonna see that trend continue as the year goes on um especially depending on whether or not doug martin could get back but I, I i don't know this this team also seems kind of hesitant to get away from some of the starting roles that they were named at the beginning of the season so we'll have to see if, if that performance in green bay actually turns out to mean that uh, more carries more of a feature role even when martin gets back
1: Now, uh, something else kind of good that came out of the Green Bay game. Obviously, Cam Brait was out here doing Cam Brait things. He found himself in the end zone twice, both at actually really convenient times during the game, uh, once on the first drive of the game to set the tone and once to keep us in the game later in the fourth quarter. The dude has six touchdowns on the year. All we can really do is commend him at this point, but something I liked uh, and something I really seemed to notice was that he did a very good job of helping Jameis kind of get his bearings back. He's obviously... Always been one of his top targets, but, you know, to help Jameis connect with two touchdowns his first game back when a lot of people were just doubting the fact that he'd even be able to go in there and play as well as he normally does, gotta commend Cam Brate, but, you know, Jameis and Cam yeah. Brate, just a combination that not a lot of people pay that much attention to. At least I I, I feel so.
3: Yeah, I I think it was, that's definitely, this game was definitely evidence that uh, Jameis Winston's his probably his favorite target is probably still Mike Evans, but his his red favorite redstone target is definitely Cameron Braid. Um, I mean the chemistry those two have are just it's insane. Um, you know they they after pra- after practice every day uh, in training camp. You know a lot of fans saw him working, uh, going out running a couple routes here and there, just simple, just getting the timing down and stuff. And uh, him and Mike James and Mike Evans have that, but but not. The way Cameron Brait and Jameis James Winston have that, and uh, Braid's touchdown actually gave the Bucks the lead, uh, and and that is the second time that the defenses blew the lead when Jameis Winston was a starter. So um, the defense has blown two leads for Jameis Winston this year. A lot of Bucks fans seem to to want to only blame Jameis for the team's four and eight record. Um, but you know, back back to Brait, uh he's he's definitely good, and I think the Bucks should pay him. Uh, obviously not over- overpaying, but you do have OJ Howard. But I think they should try to lock him up long term th- this off season, uh, or at least very soon.
1: And uh, I mean, Trevor, how do you how do you feel about Cam Bryant moving forward? I mean, I obviously like Cam Bryant. There's a lot to like about him. Um, you, you know, you guys
2: touched on it there. The the chemistry that that he and Winston have uh you can't teach you know that's something that um not only with repetitions after practice you know time and time again but uh it's just kind of a natural thing uh just I guess gauging how fast how hard Winston throws the ball with the speed at which Bray runs and you get a great combination sometimes you get picture perfect plays like that first touchdown they scored and um I I mean Sometimes it comes back to bite Winston because he'll look Brate's way a little too much, but it's hard to really blame him that much, you know. Especially when you see the kind of success that they have, so it's no wonder that he's going to cuss. Sometimes you'll watch him on a third down; he'll lock in on Brate and really try to get the ball to him. And it's a play where you go, "Ah, Jameis, you know, you should have gone through your progressions or gotten off your first read." But you know, that's all kind of an in a nutshell scouting from the couch kind of a thing because. And then on the flip side, you watch the third downs where he's keyed in on Brait, makes the throw. It's a great conversion, and you go, "Yeah, there's that. You know, there's that good throw in chemistry." So, you know, not everything's going to be perfect in the game of football, and so it's really great to have a guy that you really depend on, like Cameron Brait. And uh, no, I agree with you guys when you said I think Brait definitely has a a future on this team, uh, even with OJ Howard behind him. I, I think that uh, there is definitely a way to utilize both tight ends especially in an age where the game of football is all about making mismatches and and these are two guys with with Howard and Brait that can um, play from an inline position play from the slot and even play on that outside near the sideline sometimes in the red zone especially so you know we've seen the Patriots use that with Rob Gronkowski and man if you can get players at the right price obviously that's a big deal but I mean, you can't have enough of those guys if you can get them at the right price, and so um, I definitely think that uh, that Bray's going to be around for a long time, um, and and he he deserves to be, especially with Jameis loving the connection that they have so much.
1: And uh, another thing I wanted to to talk about really quick as we kind of close out the Green Bay discussion. Evan, you had made a point earlier about how this was a team loss, and it kind of relates back to missed opportunities, which is something we've heard for years. But uh, another thing to take note of and really keep in mind, the Bucks finished with 37 minutes. I think it was 37 minutes and 17 seconds of total time of possession. The Packers had around 27 minutes. It, it's been said for years, but you have to take advantage of open opportunities. Obviously, on the offense, the, uh, the Jameis sack fumble, that very well could have been the nail in the coffin for us when you look at the grand scale of things. But... At the same time, when you take a step back and look at it, who does this fall on more so? And, and I know you said it's a it's a team loss, and it is, it is without a doubt. But would you say that the offense went out there and did their job, or or do you think it was just all around everything could have been could have been fixed and we could have taken advantage? I think it's uh, I think the offense did okay. I thought Cutter actually called a, a pretty nice game. I thought. I thought,
3: I thought Dirk uh, had a nice game plan in place to, to get Winston back into the shape of things, and it worked uh, in, until the Packers started taking away some stuff, and then the offensive line started imploding. And uh, uh, Mike Smith, I don't think had the greatest game plan. Uh, and evidence was
2: really when
3: it was a third and two, and it was a slant to Devonte Adams for I believe like 11 or 13 yards on a, for, for a first down Green Bay. Frank Grimes was playing seven yards off of him on a third and two. Uh, you, you can't do that on a third and two. You do that on a third and ten, sure. You you don't play seven yards off your man it's that short, and they know that all you need to do is run a slant or run any type of curl route, and then they got a first down. Um, yeah, I mean Mike Smith takes blame. The whole defensive, all defensive players take blame. Uh, and also, I mean, what if if I told both of you guys right now? If I went back last week at this time and told you that Brett Hundley is going to have 84 passing yards the whole game, 84 passing yards, but the Bucks are, st- would you have believed me? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that. It, I mean, it was more like timing because the their, the Packers' run game started. Going, uh, I don't know why the Bucks really had some trouble with the run game. Uh, but, you know, both running games were going, and uh, honestly, a lot of the announcers uh, calling the game were like, you know, I wouldn't even give Winston the ball right now, or I wouldn't even give Hundley the ball, because the running games were producing so good. Um, it felt like the Bucks were the better team on Sunday, and I mean, the the Packers are probably the better team with Aaron Rodgers, but I still think that the Bucks are, without Aaron Rodgers, I think the Bucks were the better team, and are the better team, uh, just Just didn't fall their way.
1: But the sad truth of it is that we're four and eight and Green Bay is not, and that's something that we can't we can't look around. We can't tiptoe around the fact that we are four and eight at this point in the season. Obviously still have time to make something salvageable out of it. But really just a rough time. But I see exactly where you're coming from, man. You know, you look at the time of possession, you look at the way the run game picked up. Hunley didn't have the best of days. And it's very easy. You, you've seen a lot of teams take advantage of the mistakes that Hundley makes because he's a pretty solid backup quarterback, but he still makes a lot of young rook, or, uh, not even rookie mistakes, but a lot of young quarterback mistakes and really just have to take advantage of it. But one last thing that I'll say that really stuck with me that um, I'm pretty sure it was the title of the show, but the commish, Justin Pulowski had said, bad teams find ways to lose games, and the Buccaneers simply found a way to lose this game on Sunday. So, let's hope we can rebound there, and, and do something against Detroit. What were you saying? I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry.
2: No, no, no. You're fine. Um, I just wanted to make sure I got the point in. There's a um, a blog for SB Nation about the Jacksonville Jaguars, and, and the editor of that blog has a saying, or had a saying really before this year, because Jackson because Jaguars are actually doing pretty good this year. But yeah, the really? saying was the saying was the Jaguars are bad until they're not and around the you know media room at one buck place there was obviously you know plenty of optimism about going 9 and 7 and the roster improving and second year's in systems and all this but um, a couple of the writers here and there were saying hey, hey hold on hold on you know calm yourself on the playoffs and the double digit wins is this team just you know it just goes 8 and 8 or 9 and 7 that will be an improvement you know back to back winning season something the buccaneers franchise hasn't had in a long time and uh look what happened you know if they win the even if they win the last four games they're not going to have a winning season they're going to have an, an even season and so that saying the bucks that they, they it's been passed on to the bucks man the bucks are bad until they're not and that um I think it's, you know, when I thought of that, you know, I kind of sarcastically laughed, but it's true. I mean, you can't, uh, you can't count your chickens before you hatch, before they hatch, even if you sign the great free agencies, you know, even if you have the good draft, um, even if you bring in the right guy, you've got to do it on the field. And for whatever reason, for the last, you know, year, two years, three years, four years, seven years, 10 years, the Buccaneers have found a way to lose time and time again. And, uh, Something's got to change, man. Something's got to change in that culture. It, it, that, that, that culture right now is a losing culture, and um, they need a shock. They need a shock to that system.
1: And you hit the nail right on the head, but I think the worst part about this season, obviously a lot of pressure on the team coming into the season. Hard knocks put pretty much a microscope up their ass that everyone was looking through. And it's very high expectations coming into the season. People latch on to something that we haven't seen in a while, which is a positive season. And hope for the best. And like you said, it does take time. Two positive seasons in a row really would have helped us to establish the tone. So like like I said before, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. But the worst part of the season for me, and it's my defense every time I talk to someone, is that we were supposed to be good. And obviously you can say we were supposed to be good with any team. But out of the offseason, out of the draft, out of free agency, this was probably one of the best teams in the league on paper. And actually, at work, I have a co-worker. I've talked about this guy on the show before. I can't stand him. I hate his guts. I've tried to like him, and I can't. And the worst part is that he's a Philly fan, too, so I really can't talk shit to him. But that's that's the only excuse I have is that we were supposed to be good, and I think that's why this season just hurts so much more than any other season because the high hopes that everyone had, double-digit wins, playoff, wild card, however, how, you know, however far we were going to get into the playoffs, that was – The expectation and expectations were certainly not met as we are four and eight right now having this discussion. But Mm -hmm. speaking of a four and eight team, obviously there's going to be some changes. There might not be some changes because that's the way the world works right now. But you know, there are rumors going around of changes with the coaching position, pretty much the front office. There's rumors. Let's address (coughs) those rumors right now. Evan wanted to talk about the coaching fiasco come January. What are we gonna be looking for, man? Cause I've I've heard every which way. I've heard new coach. I've heard no new coach. I've heard fire pretty much the entire front office. Obviously, these are fans talking, and everyone getting on a platform to talk about it, just like we are right now. But what I mean, in a realistic sense, what should we look for come January? Well, I
3: mean, to me, that it all depends on how they how they how the Bucks finish. Uh, if, if the Bucks go out and lose to the Lions this Sunday, I don't see him win a, a, another game. I don't see how they beat Atlanta on Monday night. Uh, I don't see how they beat Carolina in Carolina on Christmas Eve. Or I don't see how they beat New Orleans unless New Orleans rest their starters. Um, I don't see how they beat them on New Year's Eve. So, uh, I think this game is big uh, for the Bucks. Uh, it's big for Cutter, that's for sure. Because, yeah. I mean, I think Cutter, unless he... Unless he beats Detroit and maybe beats like Atlanta and Carolina, I think he's pretty much gone. Um, and you could tell—I uh, mean, Trevor, were, were you at his press conference post-game? Yeah, yeah, I was. You could tell there was something. It, it, he looked like he was just tired of everything. Like he wasn't really talkative. Uh, obviously, you're not, I'm not saying you're supposed to be happy and uh, all smiling after a loss, but. Uh, He just seemed; it was just different, and it it felt different. And I I think, I think he realized that you know his job could could really be in jeopardy, and he needs wins in the worst way. So come January, I mean, if he's fired, uh, it'll be obviously it'll be January first; it'll be New Year's Day. Um, That that's black that's Black Monday in the NFL. But you'll hear immediately when he's fired; you'll hear. John Gruden, you'll hear Josh McDaniels, you'll, you'll hear Jim Harbaugh, you'll hear all these names, and and then after, maybe like two, three days after, you'll start to learn of the actual candidates, and not just the names that the fans are throwing out, so uh, I think that's what to expect. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole situation, Trevor?
2: Yeah, no, I think uh, you, know, you guys are pretty plugged in.
3: Uh, you definitely...
2: Uh, you know what you're talking about in, in this little situation here. But, no, I agree with you, man. Cutter just seems like he's a, he's a guy who's tired. Um, he's a guy who's who's tired of doing everything that he could possibly do, I think. And, and to his credit, what he believes is the best of his ability to get this team ready, to prepare them week in and week out. And, uh, again, it's, it goes back to this. The Buccaneers just find a way to lose, whether it's injuries here, whether it's a boneheaded play by this guy, uh, missed opportunity here. You know, Nick Folk being terrible one week, um, like what, whatever it is, this the Buccaneers team finds a way to lose. And man, um, I understand the Cutters tired. I understand it because you're right; he looks exhausted at this point uh, because he. It just, it just time and time again, this team uh, is somehow able to even in the ga- even if the games that they, like you said earlier, had the lead late. They're able to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory or whatever you want to call it. So um, I do not think that that Cutter is going to survive this season. I think Mike Smith is going to be gone as well. I think he's going to interview for some head coaching jobs, uh, as hard as that is for Bucks fans to believe, because, you know, he was a two time coach of the year with Atlanta. So that's going to happen. Mike Smith is. And I do think that he is going to get a head coaching job finally this time around. Uh, not sure what's going to happen with Cutter, but I don't think he's going to be brought back. Um, John Gruden is is a real possibility for this team. He really is. I can say that from uh, a couple of different angles that we have heard, um, that from sources that you know we're keeping in touch with. That, that the possibility is there. You know, I'm not saying it uh, to the degree of the possibility, but I'll just say that it, that it is not a fairy tale wish that a lot of people are talking about. This is something that really could happen. But you said some couple candidates there: John Harbaugh, if they could pull him away from Michigan; Josh McDaniels from the Patriots, sure. Um, a couple. Of, I mean, Bruce Arians, if he gets canned from uh, from Arizona, he is a smart coach. Uh, Todd Haley, if they want to stay offensive, you know, with, from the things that he's been able to do in Pittsburgh, Jim Schwartz, possibly who is uh, who is the DC for Philly, who's kind of revolutionized that Philly defense. If the team wants to go more de- defensive centric, but those are just kind of the hot names that we're rolling around. Like you said, after Black Monday, we'll really really get to see the Glazers actually. Uh, are targeting if, in fact, the Bucks coaching position comes open like I believe it's going to.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you mentioned you know, what the Glazers are, are looking for. With the John Gruden situation, do you think, and, and this is also from from what you're hearing, do you think it's the Glazers more interested in bringing Gruden, or is it Gruden more interested in coming here, or is it a bit of both? Um. I would say just from
2: my angle, I know that because obviously we broke the story um, this summer talking about how John was ready to get back into coaching. And this isn't kind of like an old story that he dusted up. No, no, no. Like he really wants to come back, man. And uh, everything that Scott wrote in that article, that Gruden article is true. He still lives in Tampa. He loves it here. Um, He has said himself, he even said at the press conference, you know, I will always consider myself a Buccaneer. You know, the Buccaneers will always be my team. You know, whether it's the special memories or the fact that he's lived here for so long, covered the team, whatever it is. And so the connection there is kind of obvious. Now, it gets a little bit tricky because they are obviously putting him in the Ring of Honor, um, not this coming Monday, but next Monday night when when they host the Falcons here in Raymond James. And so Gruden's going to be back. There's going to, you know, the old players are going to be here. The nostalgia is going to be through the roof. Um, it's gonna be happy times hopefully the team's not getting killed by halftime so the fans are actually <laughs> um, you know still still enjoying themselves at the game but um, that's the tricky part in all this is uh, I think that the, I think that you know Gruden definitely has interest in, in the buccaneers if it becomes available. whether or not the glazers do it's a, the glazers are a are a group of people that loves the home run hires so that part, I could see them being interested in Gruden. But with the Ring of Honor thing, that's where it gets tricky. Do you want to hire a guy whose name you just put on the stadium? Because putting a name on a stadium isn't just honoring a guy. It's solidifying a brand. It's solidifying the brand that the Buccaneers were when they were great. And if you hire Gruden and he fails, you taint that a little bit. You can always have the memories of the Super Bowl, and that's great when you when you look up at that name and you can remember what Gruden was like in his first stint with the Buccaneers. But what you can't take away is his second stint if he doesn't do well. And his name will still be on the stadium if that second stint doesn't go well. So that tarnishes not only that name, the Raymond James Ring of Honor, but the Buccaneers brand too a little bit. So it gets a little bit tricky in there.
1: It's actually a... Um... Uh, a really good point you had just made. I, I had never thought of it like that, but uh, a really good point altogether. Now, looking at the Ring of Honor ceremony halftime, that Monday night game, like you said, if the Bucks aren't getting slaughtered by halftime, do you think that that's going to be a halftime where if you're at the game and you really don't care about the next head coach situation, you're going to have time to get up and go to the concession stand with no lines? Do you think it's going to be a scene? Do you think it's going to be as fun as, as we think it's going to be? Or is it... Is it just going to be another Ring of Honor ceremony? Because I'm expecting oh, I, a madhouse. Oh yeah, I know. I think
2: that they're gonna. I think they're gonna roll out the red carpet for this thing, man. Um, you know, Monday Night Football. They're gonna get every old player they can to come back. Uh, you know, they're all gonna be there around him. It's gonna be. It's gonna kind of be like when they honored the Super Bowl team, but I think it's gonna be even more pronounced because they're gonna have uh, more features on on Gruden um, and that team. That time. And no, I, I think that uh, if you're going to the game, um, you're buying the ticket, and half the reason you're buying the ticket, hell, maybe even the whole reason you're buying the ticket with the team's uh, as record as bad as it is, is for that show. I think that you're going to enjoy it. I really do. Yeah, I mean,
3: I, I think, I think that uh, it, it's going to be even more electric with, with the recent rumors. I mean, if you know, these, these rumors have just um, shot up in the air and. A lot of people are talking about him, and uh, honestly, most Bucks fans know about him. Um, and, you know, Bucks fans are smart people. You know, they check Twitter and stuff. They know what's going on, and, you know, it's, it's not, just a, not just a normal Ring of Honor ceremony. It's – he could be the – you know, just think about it. This – okay, he's going to walk into Raymond James Stadium. Just think about it. The next time he can walk into Raymond James Stadium, he could be coaching the Buccaneers. That, I mean, the fans are going to be – I don't know. I – they're gonna be loud for him and who knows what's gonna happen. All I know is that for dirt cutter's sake I hope they're not getting killed at halftime because fans might start chants then, uh right in the crowd, they'll start chanting, you know, uh his name and fire cutter and all that stuff. So I for for Cutter's sake, I, I hope they're not getting killed uh by halftime. That would be probably the worst case scenario. But um I mean, you know, I, I believe Scott brought it up a, a few weeks ago in an article, Trevor, um do you think Gruden maybe you know he studies film? I'm sure if he's truly interested in, in the I can't movie. confirm he studies film. He gets he
2: gets there at like four AM, man. It's crazy. Sorry, keep going. Um
3: and you know he you know, he, he okay, he says that he studies film. And um that you know, he and obviously he does information on he collects information on the teams that he's gonna call. Uh, he collects information on on both teams and does the production meetings and all that stuff. You know, Reynolds said, you know, maybe, just maybe, when Gruden is, is checking out the books and stuff, check out their roster, check out the depth charts and stuff like that, uh, stats, and maybe he's looking at that for other reasons than calling the game. Um, and then he also, Reynolds brought up, uh, I believe it might have been last week, that just maybe uh, the Glazers and Gruden have just the chance encounter in the tunnels of Raymond James Stadium. Uh, and maybe that that sparks up a conversation. Um, you know, I just sparks it, up a fistfight. It'll be on say. TMZ the next morning. <laughs> yeah, and then I, I then I don't think he's back. Uh, <laughs> I think it, I think it'd be safe to say that John Gruden would not be coming back. But um, I mean, it's just everything everything about this Ring of Honor thing. It could be a great night for for John. John Gruden could be a great night for Bucks fans that want John Gruden. Could be a horrible night for Dirk Cutter. But um, how, like, do you think that if Gruden is truly interested in that job, Trevor, that he'll he'll be paying attention a, a bit more to Tampa Bay in this game?
2: Um, I'll just tell you that I think that, um, and Gruden plays plays pays plenty of attention to Tampa Bay already. Um, he kind of when we walked in the room to do that little story with him he he knew the bucks roster top to bottom um it's you know we were even talking about he and i were, were going back and forth about the chris baker signing and uh he even brought up some of the guys lower on the depth chart he was talking to me about clinton mcdonald and the things you could do with him and um yeah, I, i'll just say that 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 Gruden knows the Bucks roster pretty dang well already, so um, I think the groundwork has already been laid for the interest of him to come back to see him. Because, uh, dude, I, I'm just saying this: if the Bucks weren't good, that you know Gruden probably wouldn't be that interested. But the fact of the matter is. Is that Damn. this is a this is an incredibly talented team that is with a franchise quarterback that is underperforming and Gruden honestly if there is interest between both these parties he's got to be salivating no head coach gets to come into an environment like that you know normally when uh-huh. head coaches come into an environment you you don't have a quarterback you, you don't have, have a defense out. you know yeah you're 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 picking high in the draft. Man, if Gruden can get his hands on this Bucks job, he would be salivating. So I think that's my thought there. And I think that, uh, to your point, I think that uh, Gruden already recognizes that
1: right now. Now, you had talked about the situation that Gruden would come into. And as much as I would love Gruden to come back, it's such a storybook situation, especially if he comes back and does well. A realistic choice, something that, uh, that Evan had actually brought my attention to and something we've talked about before. Josh McDaniels, the very real possibility... That Josh McDaniels, the um the Patriots offensive coordinator. He's a guy who's come out and publicly said he's been ready to lead for the past few seasons. You look at the you look at the situation he comes into. There's obviously talent on the offense right now. Star wide receivers, especially if we um especially if we have everyone rolling into next season and we've got things figured out like Chris Godwin, he can establish himself a little bit more. You've got a star wide receiver core. You're kind of leading into a running back situation. I mean, depending on what happens in the draft, depending on how we finish the year. Obviously, we have four year or, uh, four years, Jesus, four games to find out how Peyton Barber is going to be doing. And you look at, um, Jesus Christ, you look at an underperforming quarterback in Jameis Winston. The perfect situation for any coach, like you had brought up. Do you think a guy like McDaniel's could come in and do a good job? I, I like I like this prospect of McDaniels
2: and everybody kind of points to how he was in Denver but I mean I mean let you know he was let, think about where, right and and not even Jay Cutler like I'm pretty sure McDaniels is the one who drafted Tebow you know like this is and I know that people are going to say that that was a bad pick but like that that was his era in Denver before he went on to New England when he so when he was a head coach so everybody will judge him on that but guys get better in their second stints all the time you know first year first time head coaches man it's tough and uh especially when you were in the situation that denver was in with not having a quarterback and taking a chance on tebow and then all of a sudden you're you got a couple of years where it's basically wasted with you as a head coach now instead he goes to the patriots been with the patriots forever uh he's worked with brady for the longest time i like the mcdaniels idea i really do because you know he's had the talent up in in uh, New England, I like some of the play-calling concepts and the things that they've been able to do with Gronkowski and some lesser receivers, some lesser running backs, making the most of them. I understand that they have Tom Brady, but you know you can you can even it out with some of the talent that I think the Buccaneers have. So if I'm a Bucs fan, I would be I, I would be welcome to, to the idea of Josh McDaniels being the head
1: coach. Oh. And if if Gruden doesn't pan out, you know, come January, that that ship has come and sailed. McDaniels is my definitely top guy in a realistic sense because, like I said before, as much as I would love to see Gruden come back, if something doesn't happen and we don't get our way, McDaniels is an excellent option. But, Evan, how do you feel about McDaniels coming in and and hopefully doing a good job, man, if he even does come in? I mean, just like like, uh, Trevor said, um, you know, he's been working with Brady
3: for the past uh, nine, almost – Close to ten years. I'm. I'm not sure exactly how long it's been, but um, you know, he gets into fights with him as you saw on Sunday. But uh, you know, and that's just because I think those guys both want to win. And I think you know, a lot of people. I posted. Uh, I, I posted just a picture of McDaniel's and on um, my the fan page as a story. And I just posted, I just said I'm getting more and more intrigued by Dr. Daniels. I posted that last night, and I got a bunch of these the, the DMs are uh, replying to the story saying, No, you know, he's horrible. We'll look at look at what he did in temper and my response to them was, was all the same. I said he's I'm sure he has learned from that experience. You don't just get fired and then forget about everything else. Like they they say, you know, you, you learn best when, when you fail.
1: And that, that know, was also you, know eight years I mean? ago.
3: Yeah, I mean <laughs> he's changed as a coach. His approach, his play calling, I'm sure it has all changed and I mean, just how he handles things has changed. So, and I, and I think I think it, it could definitely work. I I, I really like the idea of like paying for the Bucks uh, with the offense, and I hope he could bring along a good defensive coordinator along with him because I think the Bucks need uh, to focus on defense this off season. I definitely think uh, if they focus on offense, should be a running back and O line. But I think defense is number one priority for him this off season, um, and, and pretty much you know. I think it, it enhances it. The chances go up for McDaniel's if if a guy like Jason Light is still here, and that's why I want to talk to Trevor uh, about next, just a little side conversation about that. Um, you know, if if Jason Light stays, McDaniel's could be a possibility. If Jason Light stays, Bruce Arians, who if he gets fired, could definitely be a possibility. He might even be the front runner then, if. Arians gets fired in Jason Light's days because Jason Light had a partner hired him back in his AZ days. And, you know, do you think Light gets another shot here, Could uh, Trevor? I mean, you know, it, it's hard to imagine because normally NFL GMs get their choice at one head coach. And if that head coach doesn't pan out and he gets fired. Normally the GM that hired him gets fired too, but it, it, it's, a, it's a weird situation with Light because, like you said, if if Gruden wasn't, if the Bucks just sucked and had no talent like they did in 2011, early, um, if they if they just flat out sucked, Gruden wouldn't be interested. But if they also flat out sucked, we'd always be saying, "Oh yeah, Light's got to go." But because they're so talented, we're like, "Well, maybe you keep Light." What are your thoughts on the situation and what do you think's gonna happen?
2: Well, I'll just start by saying like. Gruden's going to come back. There's definitely going to be negotiations about some sort of control um, over the roster and the GM moves because um, Gruden hated the GMs that he worked for when he was here in Tampa Bay. That was a big part of the split, and that's why you saw a lot of the roster fall that you did. the The salary cap was was in the toilet basically the entire time after the Super Bowl year. Um, so, I think Gruden's going to have a say in who's the GM. Uh, but I do think that Jason Light ultimately sticks around, and right now he's in a contract year, so. That makes it easier for them to move on from him if they would like to, um, but it also makes it easier for them to re-sign with their own stipulations if they would like to. But here's the thing about Jason Light. I think Jason Light's a great talent evaluator, actually. Um, I think that he's been able to see certain things and people. I think he's been able to draft pretty nicely. The problem is that things haven't panned out to a certain degree, and and, and certainly there are going to be plenty of people who come up and tell you that, that – um, that he needs to go for that reason. But me personally, I like the philosophy that Jason light has when it comes to evaluating players um, and free agents as well, especially roster moves as well. When he sees that he can improve the Buccaneers roster, he's not afraid to do so. Um, The problem with him is I don't think he was honest enough with himself about the important positions of football. And that is the offensive and defensive lines. Um, Because, where i think jason light might be might have a little bit of a fault here is i think that he he has a tendency to maybe believe in his guys too much you know it was for example you know kind of uh, donovan smith uh, kind of holding on to him as long as they have um, willie william golston paying him the money that they did with the sack incentive that they did thinking that he was going to somehow become a sack guy when he never was uh betting on Smith to return from injury the way that he did that not panning out it's just little things like that where he has bet he's bet a lot of his money um literally and figuratively um in the game of football and with the salary cap on the offensive line and, and run the risk a little bit there with those guys and and unfortunately the house is up right now on a lot of those bets And those are the important positions of football. You've got to get the offensive line shored up. Uh, You can't have those kind of weak links. You can't be holding on to guys that have proven that they just can't be reliable at whatever position they're at. Same thing with pass rush, man. We're seeing that this year. And I don't know if it's because of the coaches or what, but something. You almost wish that Jason Light had another year on his contract, but I do ultimately think that he comes back. And he really needs to attack both of the trenches hard this offseason, whether it's in the draft, free agency. I know they dipped there last year, but whatever it is, man, they've got to invest some nice picks and a good amount of their money on on moving pieces, uh, getting guys in and out and, and fortifying both of those trenches. Because right now that is the black eye on him as a GM is that right now, no, the salary cap, it's as healthy as it's ever been. They're going to be able to sign Mike Evans. They're going to be able to sign Jameis Winston. All of these guys they are going to be able to be players in free agency. They're drafting pretty well. I mean, he's, he's had his, his hits and misses as, as an early GM in those first couple of years. But, I mean, come on, guys. You Look at the draft that he just had. Beckwith, Evans, Howard, Godwin. Like, those, all four of those players are studs. So he has had a, he had the great recent draft, and, and I just think that – I do think that he's going to be retained, but he's got to make some moves this offseason. He's got to fix his mistakes. I think he realizes
1: that. Um, And if he does,
2: yeah. I, I think he's going to have this Bucks team in the right direction.
1: So he's well, going to be in I a position to, uh, to basically just put up or shut up come next season because he's going to know the situation he's in.
3: Yeah, well, I think that light should attack – uh, done a method that he, he's done before and I think he should attack both positions uh, defensive line, off of the line both in free agency and in the draft I also think corner's there uh, corner, uh, if Brent Grimes would retire or just choose not to resign, that's obviously a number of huge need, that's a top three need then um, also running back uh, but yeah, I wouldn't mind them, them dipping into the defensive end pool in free agency, not getting anybody big um, you know, just, just uh, smaller guys that are young can can develop a bit, maybe have some room to grow, but can develop into some nice guys. And then just in the draft, you, you have to – I think this off season he has to get at least three new defensive ends, um, probably two new offensive linemen, and maybe like a corner or two in there, along, mixed in with a running back. But, I mean, yeah, I, I think that, you know, everybody knew at the end of the last James Winston, they needed weapons on offense. Vincent Jackson was old, he got hurt, didn't know he Adam Humphreys is good, but not good enough to be your number two wide receiver. Um, and then, what what did he do? He went out and signed Sean Jackson, who was a big fish on free agency, one of the best free agents on the market. And then he goes out, and he drafts O.J. Howard when he had other needs. He did have other needs, but he drafted O.J. Howard, and then he Drafts Curse Gawain. I mean, how how much more weapons can you get? So I think when Light identifies that he needs something that badly, I think he goes and gets it. So as Trevor said, um, I think that he, he will do that if he's retained. Now, the thing that I want to ask Trevor, he might have already said this, but I might have missed it. If, if Gruden is the hire, I mean, Gruden's just been on record saying he likes what Light doing, do, and you seriously think that Gruden keep Light around?
2: Well, I don't think that he can do both jobs. You know, he's not going to, like, have a GM spot empty like Chip Kelly, Wish he would have, you know, like kind of like Chip Kelly had at the Eagles. And so even though I think that Gruden wants to make sure he has his hand in who's ever the GM, he can't do that job on his own, and he knows that. And so if he really does trust Jason Light, like he has said previously, then yes, I think that, that, that he would sign off on that.
3: Yeah, I, I would love it and I I think that's a great combination. Um, A lot of people hate on Jason Light, and it's mainly for the Roberto Guayo thing. Um, Unfortunately, until this team makes the playoffs and and goes deep into the playoffs with Jason Light as the general manager, if they ever do, um, he's never going to live that down. Uh, uh, You know, I mean, I think Pat Murray's definitely helping, uh, that's for sure. Um, Because honestly, if you look at it, his free agent track record hasn't been good. Uh, I know Gruden's wasn't great, but maybe maybe do a system to where, you know, I don't know, Trevor, your thoughts on this, if this would work. Almost like the system. I mean, this is going to scare a lot of Bugs fans, but like the system that, that Lovey Smith and Jason Light had. Lovey ran free agency, Light ran the draft. Maybe Gruden has some, some things in free agency, but then he, he lets the draft to Light. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I guess.
2: I mean, potentially. I mean, potentially that might be something that guy. But I, I really think it's going to be a partnership. And you know, I, I do know for a fact that there was a little bit of a divide with you know, Lovey Smith and and Jason Light with like certain players that Light maybe wanted, but Lovey said didn't fit his system. And like you were kind of saying there with with coaches and GM combo um you can't really be that hands-off it definitely has to be a partnership and that's why it's so rare when stuff works out for a long time um and that would that would have to be the case with gruden it would have to be something that's kind of negotiated where where you know it's it's not just all compliments and yeah i think you're doing a good job here it's like the no 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 like let's talk about preference of players and see if this really works out because for you to build the right team you have to have the chemistry from the top down um and you have to be in agreement with the guys who get you the players and you have to be able to get the most out of the players you get um so it, it's kind of got to be a marriage in that sense um so i don't i don't know i don't really know that's kind of chemistry that we would be able to know until something actually happened
1: and uh yeah as we kind of get closer to wrapping up the show because we are dragging on just a little bit here uh let's talk about and look ahead at the detroit game buck's going to be back in tampa in ray j first game back in a couple of well uh, yeah, yeah a couple of weeks <laughs> Seems like forever, honestly. Seems like a couple months. <laughs> it definitely does. It feels like it, man. These these road trips start to drag along if you can't perform on them. But Bucks are going to be back in Ray J. It's going to be familiar surroundings as we look to host the Detroit Lions. What's going to happen on Sunday if we're going to keep up with this Lions team? The Lions are six and six. Obviously, just got beat the hell up by the Ravens. That was another game that was on while we were watching overtime. But what's what's going to happen what's got to be the strong point what has to stand out among everything else to kind of put us over the edge and help us win this game and carry some momentum into the last quarter of the season
3: well i mean i think james winson has to play good and and uh the thing that help james winson play good and i think the offensive line has to play good they certainly have to play better than they did last week uh if they play the same way they did last week the bucks won't win um you know any defensive line except for maybe the Buccaneers. The bucket. If the Buccaneers were facing that offensive line, they probably wouldn't get much pressure. Um, but um, the Bucks offensive line right now is just not good, and and maybe that's because your best two linemen are on IR. Um, but you know I think James Woods has to have a good game. I think uh, the weapons need to show up. Uh, I think Dirk Cutter needs to have a solid game plan as well. This is a big game for Dirk. because yeah, I, mean, I think if. If he loses this game, you're 4-9, you're I mean, you're I think if they lose this game, they'll likely be a, be a mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, and that's when you'll start to see some players give up uh, and and check out for for the year. Uh, and, and that's not a good look for Cutter, and that's not what the Glazers want, uh, especially not from the home crowd. Bucks have played well at home. Not they haven't played horrible. I mean, they haven't gotten blown out really at all at home. The Panthers lost was probably the the worst loss at home. Uh, the most annoying loss was probably the Patriots one because I believe if they did have Patrick Murray week five versus the Patriots, I think they end up beating the Patriots and who knows, that's a whole there's a whole different season then. But um I think the Bucks end up winning this football game I, I do. I think this is this is gonna be the Bucks probably last one of the season. Um, I, especially since Stafford may or may not play, even though the Buccaneers do not have success with, uh, facing backup quarterbacks, uh, I, I still think Winston plays well enough. And I think the defense makes just enough plays for the Bucks to win. The defense has been playing pretty solid at home. So I, I think they, they make just enough plays and the Bucks uh, win their last game uh, of the season, I believe. Um, what are your thoughts, Trevor? And what do you think, uh, do you think the Bucks are going to pick up a win on Sunday?
2: Um, circling around to the theme I brought up earlier, the Bucks are bad until they're not. And so, um, it's hard for me to, it's hard for me to pick them. Uh, I said that kind of earlier in the year, I knew that the Miami and the Jets game were probably going to be their two most likely wins and they were, but, uh, they've obviously struggled to, you know, whether it's keep up with the better teams or get out of their own way or whatever it is outside of those two games and outside of the four games that they've really just played the worst four teams on their schedule. And so uh, if Matthew Stafford plays, I think this is the Lions game to lose, certainly, even though it's on the road. They're playing decently well, and I think he's going to be able to. I, I, I really think it's going to come down to Mike Smith, man, because let me tell you, Mike Smith was actually doing some good things in that Atlanta game, and he was kind of getting, you know, he was, he was holding Julio Jones's targets, and he was getting a little bit of pressure, and he was getting kind of creative, and then all of a sudden, when things started to go wrong, it's like he immediately reverted back to what got them in the hole in the season in the first place and just got super conservative with everything that he's doing. Just don't do that against the Lions, and you got a chance. Uh, if, if that defense can step up, continue to be aggressive, and be aggressive for, you know, 60 minutes, then then I think this team has a chance. You know, I think James Winston has a chance to, to sling it around uh, this Lions defense. And, uh, you know, Darius Slay and Mike Evans matchup is going to be the key one, but uh even more so than that i think the mismatches around that are going to be important you know jared davis uh athleticism on athleticism with oj howard uh we're going to get to see deshaun jackson hopefully have some good uh good matchups and 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 you you gotta hope that your cutter puts him in positions to, to to play well because i don't expect the bucks to be able to run the ball as well as they did in green bay you know whether it's Barber or doug martin or whoever you want it because they're still gonna be without marpet they're still gonna be without dodson so in that sense like the passing game's got to take a step up and um you know the lions are going to take a step up from whatever the packers passing game was and their offense and they're they're pretty diverse there but i you know it's just uh I, I think it's a matter of of which coaching staff i trust and even though the lions coaching staff has been up and down for a long time a couple of years here even I don't trust her cutter right now. I just don't trust him and Mike Smith to get it done because they have, uh, they've burned that bridge for me in terms of picking this team uh, a couple of times this season, pretty badly. So uh, I got to go with the fact that the, the bucks are bad until
3: they're not. And uh, I'm going to say the lions win this one. Nice. Do you think, do you think that, do you think that the players still trust cutter or do you think that he's starting to lose the trust?
2: Um, this is an interesting question because, you know, about six weeks ago, Gerald McCoy was asked if he thought that he was being used properly or improperly. And he basically let the cat out of the bag and said, uh, yeah, I think they're uh, doing a terrible job of using us. Um, in very less words. In fact, it was a one word answer that kind of said it all. And so I think that there has been some doubt among the players. But I will say this too: Gerald McCoy has. Um, has said that he is going to, you know, he is taking it upon himself, whether the coaches are doing their job or not. You know, he didn't say this this is me interpreting it. Um, Whether the coaches are doing their job or not, um, whether some of the players are getting down or not, Joe McCoy is going to do his best to tell these guys and remind these guys that, hey, you know, you only get 16 of these things and your life in the NFL is not forever. Enjoy the last four games. Get the most out of the last four games. Earn yourself a little money this offseason, perhaps, or whenever it is that you're going to sign this new contract because of how well you might be able to play in these next four games. That's kind of the message that Gerald McCoy had to the rest of the team. So whether or not they trust Cutter or Mike Smith, um, I've got to think that their trust for them, they'll never say this out loud, but their trust for those guys who put them in this 4-8 and eight hole, even though it is up to the players, it's still up to the leaders of the coaches. It's got to be wearing thin, but um, I I don't think you're going to see the players give up. I'll say that um, I, I'm not really expecting that. You know, there will always probably be one or two guys that might have a bad attitude about it, but as a whole, I don't really see this team giving up, even if they might have already on the inside given up on their coaches, which could very well be the case because of the they're in.
1: And it's a sad state of affairs because it's been something that's been said pretty much all season, even from the start of the season, from the start of the. You know the losing streak that it started with. Um, that it started with Minnesota. It well, not Minnesota, but um, Arizona.
3: Arizona.
1: Yeah, my bad, man. I'm I'm starting to get a little tired. I've got work in the morning, but comes back to the coaches and the responsibility that these guys or that these guys have to hold. In comparison to the players, you don't necessarily look at it and blame the players every week. You start to question the coaches and what comes back to the play calling. And like you had said, Trevor, you start to wonder just how long you know the players can can have trust in these guys who are supposed to lead them, obviously came out and put them in this 4-8 situation. Um, Really, I mean, I don't know. I can't really pick up too, too much off of what you said. You pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, but yeah, man, I, I agree with you 100% was what I'm trying to say. Well, Rhett, do you have uh you have a prediction for Sunday? Honestly, this is probably the first time in a couple of weeks I have no idea what's gonna happen. Um I would like to believe <laughs> that the Bucks can pull it out, but uh, I think the closest prediction I've had in the last few weeks I said Green Bay was gonna be one of those games that's gonna come down to it. I think I picked the Bucks thirty one twenty eight or something like that. Came down to overtime. But I honestly can't tell you what's going to happen against this Detroit team. It's, it's going to be an interesting one. It's going to be one that we're going to pay attention to. It's going to be one where you're going to want to watch, um, you know, a lot of the key matchups that Trevor had brought up. But I, I don't, I don't have an answer. I'm just hoping we win at this point, because I, I don't, I'll never agree with tank season unless it's for a good, good purpose. Because a lot of people are kind of jumping on the bandwagon to tank this season already. But I don't know, man. I, I honestly don't know. I really don't. I'd like to see Justin Evans do well, though. I'd like to see him pretty much pick up where he left off. Guy's been playing kick-ass second half of the season.
3: Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he's going to be a big, uh, big uh, building block for the
1: future for sure. But, ladies and gentlemen, I I mean, I don't really think we have much else to talk about here on the show. That's probably just about going to wrap it up for Episode 17. Trevor, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us, man. I appreciate it a lot. Yeah, guys, I uh, always enjoy it, man. I really do. And, uh, Trevor, where can the people reach you? Instagram, Twitter? Oh,
2: sorry. Um, yeah, no. You can uh, you can reach me, uh, or you can see all my stuff over at uh, peterreport.com. That's where I post all this stuff, and then uh, Twitter is kind of where I, I mainly post all my you know tomfoolery and and articles and and just talk about NFL football in general. Um, so add Tampa Bay Tray if you guys want to follow me there. I'm, I'm pretty active. Uh, anytime you tweet at me or respond or send a meme or whatever it is i'm pretty uh, i'm pretty engaging on that because that's uh, basically my lifeblood i never put my phone down so that's probably the best way to reach <laughs> me but no i appreciate i appreciate you guys having me on tonight
1: and uh one last thing i actually wanted to ask about i meant to ask earlier when we were talking about yeah uh, sure the green bay fumble but you said you're on your phone a lot did you happen to see that one video that's been floating around they put my heart will go on over the uh over the Jameis fumble
2: I didn't see it. Uh, I didn't see it for the fumble. I saw the Titanic music dub over the Aaron Jones run to win the game, uh, <laughs> oh. but I didn't. I didn't see it for the fumble.
1: For the for the fumble, it was um, the first clip was the Jameis fumble from Green Bay, and then the second part of the clip was uh, the Rose Bowl fumble a couple of years ago against Oregon. Oh, so it was God. definitely <laughs> definitely pretty traumatic for me because I wasn't expecting the jump when I had first watched it, but it. It left me with mixed emotions, I'll say that. Evan, were you able to see that one? Uh, No, I should check it out, though. I was able to see uh, Joe Blacko eat the W, though. Oh, yeah, that was a good one to watch. That was a good one to watch. God, this hurts me so much. But, ladies and gentlemen, that's just about going to do it for this episode of the Cannon Fire Podcast, episode 16. If you haven't already, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Canon Fire Podcast and subscribe on YouTube and iTunes at Canon Fire Podcast as well. Signing off for Trevor and Evan, I am Rhett. Hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Remember, go bucks.
0: Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Super Beats Heart Choose Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beat brand for heart health support. The new SuperBeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10.